Welcome to Pints and Politics. This is episode number 118. You can also listen or subscribe by searching for Pints and Politics on iTunes and on Stitcher. We are also an occasional panel discussion program on Trent Radio, CFFF, in Peterborough, Ontario, 92.7 FM. On Pints and Politics, we explore all things political with focus on life here in Peterborough, Ontario, and Canada. This episode was recorded on December 17th, 2022. Today, our focus will be on hate. Now, it may be my imagination have expressions of hate been exploding over the past year. Whether it's on the news, on social media, or in real life, now we hear almost daily accounts of anti-Semitism, anti-black racism, anti-trans slurs, anti-LGBT plus attacks, poor bashing, and anti-immigrant outbursts. Even in Peterborough, what's going on? And why now? And why these target groups? It would be naive just to blame the ripple effects of the Trump presidency. But the Trump effect, coupled with the pandemic, the outbreak of war in Europe, the worsening climate crisis, the bloated cost of living, and the extreme income inequality, surely all these things must be factors in this toxic stew. Uh, Whatever the causes of this trend, all these factors are multiplied and disseminated by the Internet, social media, and our 24-hour news cycle. Bad news happens. We all know about it within a minute. Now, our political dialogue is becoming poisonous at all levels, even in our parliament. Politicians no longer strive to understand each other. Instead, they engage in rage farming. That's a lovely term for whipping up anger and hatred. The expression of rage and the ability to stimulate it in voters have become one of today's most esteemed political skill sets. Snide put-downs and stinging one-liners have replaced thoughtful debate. Now, in a historical sense, we've been here before. The 1930s, otherwise known as the Dirty 30s, shared many of the dynamics we see in our current decade. Back then, there was extreme income disparity. There was the Great Depression, loss of employment. People were looking for scapegoats. There was a huge spike in anti-Semitism. There was a global shift to more right-wing governments. Moderates were deposed by tyrants. That decade ended with the rise of fascism and the outbreak of World War II. That war ultimately led to the deaths of over 40 million people. We could spend hours on international trends, history, and systemic causes of hate. Who's to blame? While such an analysis might provide us with a more complete context for the current moment, what can all this exploration really tell us about what's going on in Peterborough right now? Bigotry and hatred are constant undercurrents in any community in Ontario, for that matter, the rest of the country. But until recently, those undercurrents stayed out of sight and remained unexpressed. Now they are crawling out of the dark and in view for all to see. Now finally, a few words about our panel. As listeners, you should know who you're about to listen to. We're a diverse collection of individuals of assorted ages, backgrounds, genders, and political inclinations. Some of us are members of groups uh, who have been targeted by hate attacks. All of us live in Peterborough. All of us have a stake in creating a community free of hate. Now, joining me for this discussion are former Peterborough City Councillor and mayoral candidate Stephen Wright, law clerk, photographer, and comedian Jill Tilley, artist and arts advocate 
Annie Yeager, an LGBTQI plus activist and director of development for Rainbow Railroad, Dane Bland. So here's our first question for the panel. In terms of hate, what is going on right now in Peterborough? And what's going on across the country and further afield? What are you seeing, hearing? Everything. Um, it's it's Dame Bill. Um, everything. You know, I think we're in increasingly polarized times, and it's across the board. There's no particular area where you can put a finger on, oh, this is the worst of it. We're seeing marginalization of people uh, with lower incomes, as you put in your introduction, rising anti-Semitism, rising racism, rising classism, rising hate towards trans and LGBTQI plus people. There's no particular place in which you can really put a finger and go, you know, those people are getting a heck of a lot less hate. And I'm sure the people who are perpetrating a lot of this hatred feel that they're being othered and being on as well inaccurately but i'm sure that they feel that way too and that they're being marginalized even if they're not so what's happening is we're all mad and we're all angry and i have a feeling that a a ton of that is misplaced Um, things are getting more expensive the world is a scarier place than it was we're seeing rise in global crisis. We're seeing increasing economic uncertainty. There are more people who are houseless than ever before. There are more people who are experiencing mental health difficulties than ever before. All of these things, when combined, it is easier to blame somebody else than it is to blame yourself or to look inwardly or to focus on self-betterment. It's a heck of a lot easier to other people in that. And it's also a heck of a lot more expedient politically for people who are trying to line their pockets or ensure that their friends get rich along the way for us all to be fighting with each other than to be recognizing what the root causes of some of the problems that we're facing are, which have nothing to do with our social or identifiable differences um, or unidentifiable differences and everything to do with the fact that we're in a system that is perpetuating poverty and mental health difficulty and inequality and addiction and houselessness, Mm. all of these different things. It is much, much, much more expedient for the political class to have us all fight each other about what we look like or who we love than it is for members of the political class to have us realize that it's kind of their fault. Yeah, you know, when as you were speaking, uh, Dane, what popped into mind is uh, there, there's three sort of initiatives that are already ongoing that we're encouraged to feel good about, but they're not addressing the main problem. And that's uh, university, uh, universal basic income. There are rent subsidies. These things don't address the, the inequalities of the capitalist system we live in live under. It's all expending public money to fix the problem. For example, why should someone who is not getting an adequate wage get government money, which is our tax dollars, why shouldn't their employer be convinced to raise raise their salary to a decent wage? It well and it's it's there it's it it's also the government's responsibility. If you look at what happened like it it is it is like clockwork. And you mentioned Trump in your introduction. You know, Trump has kind of presented a masterclass in doing this. Look at what people were talking about in the news when Trump rolled back $4 trillion of taxes for rich people. No one talked about $4 trillion of tax rollbacks. Instead, they were talking about build the wall and the Muslim ban and a tax on LGBTQI plus rights. And what did Trump tweet about today? It's all smoke and mirrors. 
It, they, these people want you to think that they're stupider than they are so that we're all distracted and fighting each other and they're laughing their way to the bank. It's all a plan. It's a, is that a conspiracy? Does that sound conspirational? <laughs> Maybe, but, yeah, yeah, so yeah. but it's, it is literally like clockwork. If you look at what the news cycle is focusing on, what social ill or whatever that the news cycle is focused on, I guarantee if you sniff for five extra minutes, you're going to find the real thing that they want to distract you from. Right. And, and you know, in the context of our uh, exchange right now, that's the gross income inequality. <laughs> I mean, for one. It's Jill. They, uh, it's, it's exactly what Dane is saying. They essentially want us all to commit lateral violence against each other to ignore what they're doing. You know, we all, violence. Yeah, that's yeah, a lovely like, like I'm an American and there's this joke that all Americans think they're billionaires that are down on their luck. And so that's why we allow people like Elon Musk and Donald Trump and Jeff Bezos and all these people to just literally hoard money and do the greatest evils under capitalism while we get angry that someone gets, you know, a four hundred dollar housing benefit uh, so they have a warm place to live. When in right. reality, like we're projecting that anger on all the wrong things and we're, you know, we can be distracted by things, you know, mental health and, and all these things that are absolutely important issues, but we're basically being convinced to blame everything that goes wrong in our own lives on someone who literally has it worse than us instead of banding together and literally capturing these people and eating them alive. Well, is there a thread there that leads us to the situation just over the last 10 days of homeless people in Peterborough and the debate, the back and forth on council? What's that about? Why are we vilifying these people who are sleeping outside at minus 10 degrees? I, I, I don't get that. Leslie Parnell needs donations from developers. I mean, that's the bottom line. You can't, you can't sit there and look at a group of people, people who are literally freeze to death, and then say, we have to follow the rules. I worry about these lost souls. I mean, I'm going to get angry, but it's just kind of like people will die. At the end of the day, people will die. And that should be the number one concern. I live downtown. I deal with people all the time. Things that are not fun for me to deal with, but I don't want any of them to die. And if that is, and that's the option. Like you deal with it. You have some unpleasantries in your life. You know, there's, there's bad things that come along with a lot of the solution, but you have to try to, you know, there are a lot of great things we have in Peterborough Village. We have the safe supply program. We have the safe injection site, but we're lacking a lot of things. And when someone says, hey, it's December, we should have been talking about this in June. Yep. Now we have to do something quickly and people want to get caught up in red tape or they want to do things and say, like, well, I'll just abstain from my vote. You know, it's right. unacceptable. It's murder. Yes. And there, there seems to be this notion that we can't do anything in advance. We can't do like, Hello, we're looking Canada. Each winter, this happens. It gets cold, it snows, and it's pretty hard to live outside. And yet the capacity for planning, it just, it's stunning. Annie here. Yeah, I think, I think there's also, in in like most of the homelessness stuff is showing up in the downtown or the evidence of it is showing up in the downtown core. So the counselors that live in the burbs and the other, and other Peterborough residents that live in the outskirts of that don't see it as obviously. And I think a lot of them actually live in a sort of a 70s mentality. Like they really don't realize that the world has changed, that they actually think that they can, that the economy and stuff that they grew up with is is somehow 
recoverable. And, and yet we have the biggest wealth gap that we've had in, I don't know, 100 years or something, right? Since the 30s. Oh, yeah. So, and the other thing I think is, is a real problem is the misconceptions around addiction. I mean, some people have this notion that you have to be, you have to be tough on, <laughs> on addicts, you know, or they won't hit bottom and you have to do the tough love thing and they need treatment and stuff. Whereas the reality is that only a, a, a you know, a percentage of addicts actually recover from treatment. A lot of them continue through their whole lives, you know, sort of back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, rehab, one three-week rehab really doesn't do much for most of them. Um, you need a lot more support for people to make a difference in that category. So I'm really baffled by this idea of that, well, it's their own fault, you know, if they just, you know, joined AA or they, you know, Went to the rehab, everything would be okay. It's just, that's just not real. That's not true. So I, I think there's a lot of misconceptions around that in terms of the homeless situation here. Right. So, and I, I'm just wondering why right now, like right here, December 2022, why are we seeing this rise of hatred, not only against uh, people who are, don't have homes, but uh, all those groups I mentioned at the beginning, uh, the anti-racism, the... Uh, LGBTQI bashing. The uh, why is it peaking now? You know, <clears throat> Bill. Like, I, th- I think one of the like, Annie's pointing to something that's important. Um, and the thing that it is, it is. Um, I, I heard somebody say this uh, not too long ago that it's intensely hard work to be poor. Um, it really is desperately hard work. Um, you know, people always talk, oh, the rich have worked hard for their money. Well, the poor work hard to survive. And so uh, it is hard work to be poor. And the people who are hating on these people living downtown um, uh, in precarious situations or who are struggling with mental health um, issues or who are struggling with addictions are themselves two, maybe three paychecks away from joining them. Um, and I would be pissed too. Uh, I would be pissed too. And you feel like, well, I'm really struggling, but I'm managing to make it work somehow. Why can't they also do that without realizing that if they got laid off tomorrow, that they would be two or three months away from the same position. And of why, of course you should be mad. Like, of course you should be mad about that, but you shouldn't be mad at the people who are worse off. You should be mad at the fact that you are living and working in an environment or in a system that puts you in that position in the first place. And so, you know, this rising, I I, I say so often, we're living in a post-truth society. There's no such thing as a fact anymore. Like, honestly, you can just say, no, that's not true. I don't believe it. Or I don't think that's accurate. Who cares about science? Like, who cares about whatever? And so you're talking about, the, the rising tide of hatred against the racialized communities, against the the LGBTQI plus community. These are this is hatred that's being perpetrated by people who just they, they believe that, you know, being trans or being queer is a choice. And 
that, you know, well, we'll just choose to be something else. Or I heard that this, you know, that trans women are trying to get into prisons to commit sexual assaults. That must be true. It's not like it's yeah. just not factual. And yet I saw it on Twitter. So therefore, it's a problem that I, I saw that vaccines cause autism. Therefore, vaccines are evil. There's no scientific or, or basis, in fact, for right. any of this. So the, the trouble isn't that you're seeing necessarily a rising tide of hatred. This is hatred that was simmering below the surface. What you are seeing is as we've escaped from from a world bound by truth and bound by facts, all of these things have just come pouring out because it's suddenly become okay for that to happen. That's not just Trumpism, it's populism. It's a rise in populism and it's also a rise in poverty and it's a rise of economic uncertainty and it's a rise of health uncertainty that have just created such a culture of fear and anger that let's just all spout garbage and who cares? Yeah, now one concern is that we have, well, it's hardly a rise, but we have stronger ascendancy of the charity, right? So earlier I was trying to remember the three things that uh, I frequently have trouble with, uh, the UBI movement, rent subsidies, and food banks. So we're all, everyone, every organization worth their salt has a food drive to stock up the food banks. But why are these things needed? Uh, all three examples, they they come from either public charity or government why aren't we addressing the underlying dysfunction in the capitalist system you know like food banks were supposed to be a temporary solution back in the late 70s early 80s and now they're everyone does it it's just expected you donate to the food drive why are people needing that because and many of these people who who are clients of the food banks are working but their wages are so low they can't both afford rent and feed families. So thoughts about that? I'll speak to that. I I really, I I think it's an industry and I think it it deflects the, uh, it deflects the uh, responsibility of government to deal with these kinds of issues. It's, it's easier to just toss it off onto the public to, to come up with the cash. We're seeing it with this right now and with the homeless crisis here, Mm-hmm. That it's a, it's a grassroots a couple of a bunch of grassroots organizations that are coming together to step in because the council hadn't wasn't able to move forward on any viable plan in the next for the next couple of months. So we have we still have homeless people whether <laughs> there's houses for them or not. So I think it's this deflection, but I think it, it really goes to even a there's there's a lot. I think that there's actually a concerted effort to, and I think Dane touched on this to just keep us all distracted you know we're living in the information age and yet people are kind of living in their own little bubbles especially since the pandemic happened so I was shocked for example the other last couple of weeks ago I was at a protest for bill 23 and it was amazing a number of people pulled up and said what's bill 23 and I thought, where have you been? Uh, how could you not know what that is? But I guess if you're just looking at your your own iPhone and your own friends and your own social media, you don't and you don't read newspapers and you watch Netflix at night, you're not seeing any kind of of thing. And I think there's also a lack of of shared information, which used to be the case when I was younger. Everybody would get. One or one, one or two newspapers. So, so we, there was a sort of shared basis of, and Dane again tr- touch on this shared basis of truth, something you could trust, and 
or we all watch the same television shows. But now that doesn't exist anymore. There's just this, you know, sort of yes. infinite, infinite amount of entertainment and distraction and stuff like that. And I think it's it's being, you know, really carefully and calculatedly used by, you know, an upper sort of an oligarch class, if you like, to, uh, you know, keep people in, in, in poverty and just, like, use them. Uh, I don't sure. think there's any real intention to address the problems in any real way. So it's just going to perpetuate, but people are in denial about it. So it's hard to mobilize people that want to make change. Yeah. In my more cynical moments, I wonder if we all went on a social media fast for two weeks, would all the hate go out of our lives? I mean, I I see shaking heads, not nodding, but shaking. I think even without social media, like for myself, I would say 10 years ago, if I was confronted with someone who, I think 10 years ago, if I had been with someone who had a, a, an opinion about poverty or drug addiction that was incorrect, my response would be to try to educate them. But now it's not that I wouldn't, but things can get so fraught now that it can be dangerous to have a conversation Mm. with them. You know, there's a, there's a drag queen here in town named Betty Baker, who's amazing. And she just had to cancel a show, uh, a story time because of death threats. You know, it's not just that people disagree. There was a time when like, you could be like, well, I think the problem is this and I think this should happen. And it, and now it's, I want that person to die. I dislike their choice. And mm-hmm. you know, that's what this is mm-hmm. about. But it becomes dangerous for people on that side of the, of the scale to advocate mm-hmm. for themselves or others. You know, like I'm theoretically part of oppressed classes. Like I'm an immigrant and I'm a queer woman, but I'm an American and I'm in a cis marriage mm-hmm. like to a man. And so those parts of me aren't visible. And so I have a responsibility to step in where I can. As soon as you reveal certain things about yourself, you put yourself in a certain amount of danger. And right. I'm able to hide the things I want to hide about myself. There are other people out there who it's, you know, they are who they are and you can't hide it. And it's, and it becomes a, an issue where, you know, you hear people all the time, like, well, just talk to people, just work it out, just explain to them. And it's like, no, they, they don't think I should be alive, you know, and then right. what are you supposed to do with that, right? Like, they don't just want me to shut up. They want me to. Now, what is the role, I'm wondering, between, are there dots to be connected between the spread of disinformation and hate? Now, I'm thinking, for example, Pierre Polyev, the conservative leader here, um, Canada, uh, says Canada is broken and Trudeau's to blame because he's a communist. Uh, and I, I scratch my head and say, now, does this have anything to do with how hate is becoming this virus? Hey, Bill, Stephen here. Sure. Um, you know, Anne pointed out something that was uh, critical, critical in how you break down the societal perception of who people are. Anne pointed out something here that was pretty worth noting was the how uh, we have a generation that receive information. I remember at a time when the racism and, uh, you know, the systemic discriminatory practices were so prevalent that they, you know, the government of the day, and this is even went back to a conservative government, Mike Harris and Brian Marooney, there were TV ads and radio spots that were taken out, you know, that talked about the joke. You know, have you heard the one about the Jewish guy and... And they highlighted how these things weren't really funny, that they further uh, discriminated against racialized people and LGBTQT plus two communities as well. 
I always said that the dumbing down of society started with the Walkman. Because no matter what you listen to on radio or TV or whatever music station you listen to, there was always that interjection, this 30-second of news and update. And it was very much so fact-based now compared to where it's about headline-grabbing uh, in order to get your clickbaits and, and red, revenue generation. Right. So the, the stuff that's spewed out by political leaders today is about grabbing the headlines and not about sharing anything that's factual anymore. It's how do we stay current? How do we then drive our social media feeds? And then in, in, in to do that, you have to sensationalize everything. Last Saturday, December 10th, there was a gathering uh, uh, somewhere around 400 people, I'm told, from across the province who came to Peterborough for a freedom rally. Now, what, what's their, what was their agenda? Well, I saw in the news coverage uh, anti-Trudeau flags. The uh, Apparently, they're against gun control. They're, of course, anti-mandate, anti-COVID vaccine, anti-government. Do these rallies support hate? And if so, how? Um, I want to start by responding to one thing that Stephen said around headline and sensational, like headline mm. thing, you know, you, you reference Polyev saying, oh, Trudeau's a communist and therefore we're all in trouble. Like, look at, read what the National Post headline, like if, you know, if, if, if Pierre Polyev came out tomorrow and said, Trudeau's a communist and that causes the, causes problems. The National Post headline would be Pierre Polyev says Trudeau's communism causes problems instead of crazy politician says inaccurate bullshit. Because, and right, that, right. but that's what it is. Like, yep. that, it, it, why are like, and no one, you know, if you're scrolling on a social media feed or even reading a Chiron as you walk through the airport on, on a thing, we have a responsibility to report things as they are true. Like Pierre Polyev makes unfounded, non-fact-based claims based on in, in extreme personal bias is the correct mm -hmm. headline to that piece. Instead of just people, if, if, you're, if we live in a, high, uh, a society of chironism where it's just like what scrolls along the bottom of my screen that can fit in 140 characters or less, then we are going to miss critically important context. And, right. you know, when it comes to, 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 to protests and agendas, you know, I, I don't. The, these freedom gatherings, obviously, I completely abhor what these individuals are standing for. And I have a big problem with, you know, shutting down downtown or, or, or violence or sort of the language and lack of care that these people present. But, you know, at the end of the day, gather, go ahead and do it. And and there have been a, a, a there's a, there's a history of protests all across the world that are kind of aimless or don't have a particular agenda. Mm -hmm. People who share like, you know, we I don't think that you can look at, you know, if they want to go have a sit in in a parking lot and wave fuck Trudeau flags. Pardon my French, but it's true. Like they're waving. Mm -hmm. the flags, so whatever their words, if they want to go have a party where they're waving those flags, go on right ahead. In the same way that in 2008, when people had a sit in in Central Park and occupied Wall Street, then go on right ahead and do it. They didn't particularly have aims either. They were just mad. And that's okay. That's okay. But the, the, the trouble is that exactly as you pointed out, when it begins to bleed, and this has, this is a movement that has bled into other places. Or maybe there are other movements that have bled into this. I don't know. It's kind of impossible. It's a chicken and egg sort of scenario. 
the hatred, you know, the fact, the fact at the end of the day is it would be one thing if these people were upset at the political class and elite liberals, as they call them. It's another thing, the fact that people feel that they have a place to wear swastika armbands to these rallies, that people feel comfortable doing that and they're not kicked out. You know, people feel comfortable with these anti-trans uh, protesters who feel that they have a welcome home in these convoy protests, um, anti-LGBTQI plus protesters that feel that they have a home in these protests, people that feel it's okay to wear white sheets to these kinds of freedom-based protests. The fact is, it's one thing to protest for so-called freedom, which, of course, Canada is, what, the fourth freest country in the world? Go on right ahead. I guess if you think we should be number one and that's what you want to have a protest about, go on ahead, I guess. But, you know, it, it's another thing entirely to welcome into this so-called freedom movement all of these sub-movements that make it feel a lot more hateful than maybe maybe it has any right to be. Now, Dane, you, you touch on something that certainly was with me as I was thinking about this discussion today. What what role do, and I'm doing air quotes here, progressives, otherwise stereotyped as the woke left, uh, what, what role do progressives in Peterborough play in continuing this, this dance of hate? Uh, are their hands entirely clean when it comes to maintaining the atmosphere of toxicity that leads to hate? I... <laughs> I think it's I think it's pretty clear that a lot of that hate is is being generated from outside. I mean, when you see "Don't tread on me" flags, you know you kind of go, "What? What is the reference there?" And and when you talk about a freedom rally, well, what? I mean, who doesn't want freedom? Is it, can you name even one person who doesn't want freedom? These are just buzzwords that rile yeah. people up and get them enraged, and the and the orchestration i believe is coming from outside so mm. is it is it a liberal thing uh, you know do they do we fight back uh, I'll, I'll i'll categorize myself as a as a liberal are we fighting back not really we're just trying to hold it at bay and keep it from taking over the planet but we see when we let it go like in like last in ottawa last year we see how far that it, everything starts to really de, um, decompensate pretty quickly unless mm -hmm. somebody unless somebody steps in. And when government a government that should have stepped in doesn't, then you know it's pretty easy to say, oh, you know, somebody's uh, Trudeau's uh, you know over overreacting to this thing. And it's well, there were people having pig roasts in the street. I mean, come on, get you got to draw the line somewhere right in front of the parliament buildings. That that isn't liberals in in engaging in this problem it's it was that was purely right-wing stuff that was being fed from the united states i mean the funding that was coming from the united states for the trucker protest was enormous you know i it, to think that we're i mean for, i think for a lot of years people in canada have been in denial that oh oh it's not going to happen here we're okay but we're seeing it you know that was a pretty good demonstration that no, it is here, and it's. Although it's any did did we not hear as a result of the uh, inquiry that just wrapped up a few weeks ago that in fact there was not all that much foreign funding? I, I didn't recall. hear. I didn't. I didn't yeah, hear. I, that I recall. Like, yeah. Recall hearing that that I, I, well, I recall two things. One during the event this this was floated that you know Republican money is up here, but apparently during the inquiry it was pretty minuscule. Like most of it was in Canada donations. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what about what? What do we do 
What are things to consider about this rising tide of hatred? And what will he do about it? In other words, and how can we inoculate the next generations yeah, against no, the, the hatreds of their their parents and elders? Bill, I, I think um, when you ask, you know, what can we do? There has to be a greater degree of accountability to those that run those social media platforms. You know, I also look at, uh, you know, having spent four years on council, the role of our municipal government in right. stemming out some of the, the localized hate. We hired a diversity and inclusion officer. And, you know, and if you go back and you say, well, what what has our diversity and inclusion officer been able to do as form as far as formulating policy, uh, assessing policies? that you know feed more into the long-term systemic discrimination and and, and if and if, if reams being bluntly honest and, and feel safe in in answering that question will probably tell you that she's been neutered in doing that job that she was hired to do you know one of the first mm-hmm. things that she was asked to do was to help produce the community wellness report well that's not diversity and inclusion it had nothing mm-hmm. to do with that right you know when we looked at national indigenous day what, what did we do that brought about a greater degree of public education about Indigenous people, even to a culturalized community that's growing in Peterborough. There are immigrants that don't know what Canada's Indigenous population endured. And it feeds further into the ignorance and further racist actions against that Indigenous group. When they start speaking out, then you've got even culturalized groups from Canada Mm -hmm. saying, well, what, why is their issue any more important than mine? Yeah, Dane, The education ahead. aspect is missing. Yeah, Dane, go ahead. Just yesterday, just yesterday, there was a drag queen by the name of Betty Baker. Um, I don't know if folks yes. have heard about this. Uh, Betty, who's wonderful and lovely and sweet and like the world's most innocent human being. This is a young person. I can't imagine Betty's any older than 20, 21 years old. It, the The most innocuous kind of thing who has this history of doing these really wonderful drag readings that are inclusive of all age groups began to personally receive death threats as well as the the venue that they were intending to do a, a reading, like a performance and a reading at, um, began to receive threats of violence. And so they had to cancel this protest. And these are the same individuals who think it's that, that you know, that that are saying, oh, we're protecting our children by threatening on <laughs> all of these drag shows and yet think it's OK to wave fuck Trudeau flags as though that right. doesn't harm our children or perpetuate hatred and right. put them on their car. My, my mother was telling me this story yesterday. She was behind somebody in the Costco line who, who, you know, was chatting with her about the weather or whatever and turned around and emblazoned on the back of her hoodie was fuck Trudeau. And my mom went, Oh dear God, like, you know, this, yeah. these are yeah. the people who think it's okay to do this in public. And then also think, well, we have to protect our children from these kind people who are trying to educate them. And you know what? There has been absolutely zero political response. There has been absolutely zero response from law enforcement. These are people who are sending death threats to a 20-year-old kid. And there will be absolutely zero done about it. And you look at what's happened in, in places like Colorado Springs or, or where LGBTQI plus people are shot in a safe space. Or you look at what happened th- two weeks later um, in Columbus, Ohio, where yes. people, people with AR-15 rifles shot power lines down to cut power to a venue that was hosting a drag show because they thought like literally firing bullets into the air to shut, shut power down to a drag facility. 
And, you know, not a single soul. I mean, they, they, obviously, they arrested the Colorado Springs shooter, um, but not a single soul was arrested after the, the, like an insane level of vandalism and destruction and violence up in arms over people dressing in a costume and and making light of it. And, you know, you want to know, like, the funniest thing about the entire thing is that these are people who think that they're fighting some kind of scourge. And it's just obscene. I saw a photograph uh, that someone posted um, of British soldiers um, in drag because they were entered. They did. They were putting on a comedy show for their fellow soldiers in the trenches in World War One. Yes. In drag. Uh, it was a group of four British soldiers and they had makeup on and wigs and the whole thing. And they right. got uh, an air raid siren in the middle of this drag performance that they were doing and they were manning a flat gun. And so, you know, if it's okay for people who defend freedom um, and there's a long yeah. hundred year right. history of drag as a, as a, as a valid form of art. So disrespecting it now in the face of what it means to protect children, it's just, it's just abhorrent. And there's not a single person, it seems, who has anything to do with anything about protecting people that actually cares. And it's just like, so we yeah. can actually start. We can actually start by putting people in prison who deserve to be in prison. If you shut down a city street because you feel like wearing a mask is too much, you go to jail now. If you if, like, that's you're disrupting the economy. If you send death threats to a 20 year old kid for wanting to read a story in public while wearing a wig, sorry, you go to jail. It's mm -hmm. as simple as that. You know, and you raise a question. Certainly, in my mind, Dane, like when in our daily lives we encounter hate, be it face to face or on social media. Well, those are two different questions, perhaps. Oh, I'll, I'll spit it out anyway. How to respond? Like how, how to call out people? Social media is e easier because we can all be keyboard warriors and reply, you know, frequently anonymously. Uh, but what about when it's face to face? Like how, how to confront this? I don't want to take up too much air, and I know Annie wants to speak, but, you know, it's up to us, Bill, you, you, you know, there are people, I'm a cis white man. Yes, I'm queer. Yes, I'm Jewish, but I'm a cisgendered white man. It's up to me to stand up for people who have less privilege than I do. And yes. I think that's the first place that we can start, you know, forcing trans people to, and only trans people to be the banner carriers for their fight and, and sort of positioning them as the only people that are capable of fighting for their own rights is important. And we need to be better allies to these people. And then the second thing is, you know, there's, there are people who are probably too far gone, like these people who are sending death threats. I don't know that there's really anything that we can do, but the people who are influenced or sitting on the fence or your grandparents at bloody Thanksgiving, you know, yelling at these people yep. isn't going to help. We have yep. a responsibility to also educate too. Mm. Um, and that is not like, you know, it's up to us as allies, as people in positions of privilege to share proper education and facts as much as we possibly can. And if you change one person's mind, well, that's progress. Uh, Bill, Stephen here. I, you sure. know, Dane is uh, really bringing it home as far as how you progressively move things forward. And, and to even add the term progressive, what could they do? What can they do more of? This, you, you can't sit on your hands. You can't sit on your hand when you have the opportunity to speak out. You know, I attended uh, Peterborough Race Relations' 45th anniversary and was surprised to learn that Peterborough Race Relations had been around for that long. And, and you know, when you when you when I saw looked around the room and, and saw who was attended, you know, anybody in a leadership position was actually absent. Right. 
And then they're part of your problem. There are causes and there are causes. I just want to comment on also what Dane said about, you know, when you're people you can reach and the idea of like sitting down to dinner and, you know, your insane uncle says something <laughs> that's totally out of left field. You know, you can't give quarter to those kind of thoughts. We are trained from a young age, uh, and especially Canadians, as I've learned, to politely let things go. And there's no room for that because when someone feels comfortable enough to walk around behaving a certain way, every time it's ignored, they're just getting cozier and cozier. And so yes. it's really important to just, I mean, I'm not saying you got to whip the gravy across the table. I personally like to do the confused dog look where someone says something and I just go, what was that? And I just tilt my head like I just can't believe those words came out of their mouth. And then they right. either have to double down on it or they feel shame. And in this case, right. I think you can use shame as a very strong tool of, no, 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 this is not acceptable. This is not okay. People should not feel comfortable in their hatred and their bigotry. That's what leads to death threats. That's what leads to these kind of behaviors when they're just like, well, I've got a whole, nobody's saying anything, so it must be fine. You know, when the AIDS crisis was happening in the late 80s and the early 90s, you know, the sign that we all saw was silence equals death. And that's the same in these situations as well. Stephen, you, you touched on it, and that's that's a vein I'd certainly like to mine a bit more here. What is the role of our elected political leaders at you know, municipal, provincial, federal in displaying just that, the capital L word, some leadership on these issues? Are there any examples we can think of of leaders either locally or elsewhere who have stepped up, who have said, wait a minute, you know, I call bullshit on that. There is no, there was a time where leaders actually did step up and just say, you know, this is not acceptable in society. And I think that level of conviction to call something out that's wrong seems to be absent from political leadership today. You know, mm -hmm. we do still have the federal anti-racism uh, secretary that exists. But um, if, I'm sure if you were to poll even our current municipal leadership and our MP and MPP and ask them if they're even aware of what the role of that anti-racism secretary is, they wouldn't have a clue that that agency even exists. And that, that agency still exists? Yeah, does very minimal work in Ottawa because most politicians across the country doesn't know what the agency does. If, if people if people took maybe five minutes less to give a crap about getting reelected and five minutes more to give a crap about actually governing and doing the job yes. that they were supposed to be doing, I think that we would have a much better society. But instead, it feels like we're in because of these social media things, because everything is scrutinized, that we're in perpetual campaign mode. It's the joke of like, you know, I, I had someone recently tell me that they identified as a 2015 Justin Trudeau liberal because the like because that that was like, you know, I'm a liberal, but I'm like the 2015 version where we actually right. getting things done. I'm not a 2022 version where it's like, oh, status quo, I guess is fine. You know, like that's yeah, yeah. they they didn't they're not they're they're not a person who votes for the NDP, but they're certainly not a person that feels at home in this current like do nothing sort of environment that we live in. Yeah, I think if people if people genuinely and I live, you know, I, I, I also 
um, live in Toronto as well. And there's this, I saw a meme recently about you know, John Tory trying to get elected in what was it, 2014, I'm going to build more housing, um, doesn't get anything done. 2018, oh, I'm going to build more housing, doesn't get anything done. And in 2022, I'm going to build more housing. Why is this one going to be different? It's not, it's not. Right. I'm just wondering, we've been talking about Peterborough, but what is the larger context in which we all live? What does this have to do with? And I'm talking, of course, the media context. I mean, Donald Trump has breakfast with Nick Fuentes, who's a white supremacist in the States. Alex Jones gets successfully sued by the Sandy Hook parents and yet goes on. Alex Jones is still doing his shtick. Fuentes is still doing, of course, is pressing forward his agenda. How does all that out there in the ether, I'm waving my hands high in the air here, affect us down on the ground here in Peterborough? Or does it? Or is it only media geeks who who know this? It's not just media geeks that know that. Uh, these are the guys that do have the highest degree of social influence. And, of course, it, you know, there's no monitoring of what ends up on Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook, or any of those social media platforms. And, you know, I, I, I had breakfast with my granddaughter not too long ago, and, you know, we were talking about, uh, uh, you know, a, a generation that seems to just be so deaf, it's not even funny anymore, you know, about, you know, her identity, uh, you know, having a father that's Middle Eastern, a mother that is uh, Jamaican descent, you know, and she categorized herself as being Jamaican. As well, well, no, right. hon, you're not. You're not Jamaican. You're Calgarian. You know that's where you were born. You're true yeah. blue Canadian, and you've got to right. own that identity. So the Canadians know that a Canadian looks different in every aspect. You know, right. when you look at somebody of my complexion, you don't automatically assume African or Jamaican or in somewhere in the Caribbean. You know, because when we talk more about the fact that we are Canadians, and and give more. Uh, speaking points to that fact than, say, what these fellows in the U.S. are doing and then trying to break down our society and say, well, you know, these things aren't true and those things aren't true and and those things become believable. Right. Although, Stephen, even in Peterborough, maybe I should take out the even, I would – now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I would imagine you get the question – the, the following question more often than I do. Where are you from? I get I get it all the time. My yeah. kids, who are all Canadian-born, they yeah. are, you know, my grandchildren, well, the second one on the way next week, but, you know, they're, they're the second generation of Canadians. And when we all get together, it's, it's where are you guys from? Alberta, Toronto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Scarborough. <laughs> And, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah. and most people look shocked, you know, when you when you ask that, when they get those answers. It's like, no, we come from varying parts of the the world, but we are Canadians, right? And and they are, and they are, you're right, Bill. In Peterborough, you get asked a lot, "Where are you from originally?" In Scarborough, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 right. Then, of course, there's a whole wrinkle, and I, I must confess to this one: the term first started being used settler now now i when i'm asked i said well yeah i'm a settler you know i, I haven't been here for thousands of years my irish grandfather came over in uh, 1903 or 1905 sometime you know I mean, but that's a hard one for people to accept uh in fact the there are those who who reject that now, i have first nations friends who i mean it's, it's quite obvious you know, they are Canadians. They, they, they are indigenous to this land. You know, 
you know, those of us who other ancestry are from other places. So Alex Jones, Nick Fuentes, and these people floating out there in the on the internet, do local people pay attention and then draw solace or inspiration? I think there's it's Annie here. I think I think there's a ton of underground social media that goes on. I mean, 4chan and 8chan and all kinds of dark web and all these things that are going on that I'm not too party to, but it's bad enough to see what's going on in Twitter. See that as, you know, the takeover of a billionaire of a, of basically a multi, you know, a, a social platform of, a, and rightly called a town square has been that. And not to say that that wasn't also manipulated previously, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, of course. but now it's being manipulated highly and specifically yeah. to, you know, one party or one party or his handlers or whoever, I don't know who's involved, but this, this, these are global things. They're not, these are all global media formats. They're not, they're not local. So, but I don't see how anyone could avoid running into them (laughs) unless you're living under a rock or something. So I think that they have a lot to do with it, but I think we also, the other thing I always think about though, is that, you know, in the last 70 years, we've added 6 billion people to the planet. That's yes. 6 billion people. Yes. Like we have more people than ever in the history of mankind. And we have a refugee population of 85 to 100 million people who, yes. so many that they have their own uh, Olympic team and their own flag. So we have this, right. in addition to the, the our, our own sense of insecurity and unrest and yes. Stuff we have this sort of floating demographic of uh, nomadic people, basically stateless people, who are suffering and n- not finding a place to land. So I think that I don't think anyone could avoid that. And we're also sh- shift. I saw this the other day. We've shifted from being a primarily a rural, globally rural world to uh, an urban world. So that yes. is another one that is 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 has been a massive shift in the, in our way of life. So I, I, you know, it's it, these are kind of pretty heavy uh, movements globally that affect us also locally. I think. Yes, I, I've been noticing more immigrant bashing. I mean, except for First Nations, we are all immigrants, of course. But I'm just hearing more of it. Like, can we really afford to take in? You know, a few hundred thousand more immigrants here. Are we re- you know, and this, it's almost preemptive bashing before they've even landed here. Bill, it is, it is entirely based in racism. You know, Stephen's here uh. and he's talking about how he gets asked all the time, where are you from? And Stephen identifies as Canadian. His family identifies as Canadian. I don't identify as Canadian. I'm an immigrant. Nobody cares. Nobody asks me. And if I'm not an immigrant, they don't mind that I'm here. They don't ask me like, how did you get here? You know, nobody, it's, it, it's entirely racism. And it's, it has to be because otherwise people who are anti-immigrant would be just as upset that I was here as anyone else, but they aren't. Yeah, you're invisible. Yep. Yes. So, so Bill, uh, I, I recall us sharing the, the, the phone call that I got with you of, of a constituent that called and said, you know, our housing problem is based on the fact that oh, Trudeau. Yes. Is, you know, I, I, I listened to it again yesterday. And, and I mean, when I initially heard it, I was offended. The second time I listened to it, I laughed and said, this person is completely ignorant of, uh, you know, the contributions that immigrants actually make. Yeah. And then they listened to it again and it says, wow, 
you know, public media, look at where we're having this conversation. We're having this conversation on, on your podcast. Mm-hmm. But, you know, where is the mainstream media when it comes to, say, breaking this down and having this conversation? They're not doing that. So they're feeding yeah. into the level of ignorance that this individual will call me blaming immigrants for our housing problem. Right. Because yeah. his premise solely on misinformation. You know, is, is he a racist? I don't know if he's a racist. But his right. comments feed into the notion of what a racist thinks. You know, and, and then you look at some of the comments. And most recently, I made a post on social media about, you know, removing the ward system. And, you know, one individual replied, well, well, no, I want to be able to pick up my phone and call my local council. And I'm thinking, well, you know, you're kind of feeding into the same kind of privilege that doesn't allow us to break these things down. Right. There are voices that are diverse with different lived experiences and living experiences that have greater contributions to helping us solve our social problem when it comes to understanding the complexity of race and hate than your status quo. Allow that voice to be heard because they're looking for nothing no more differently than what you have as far as your privileges or wanting to sustain your right to your privileges. Right, of course. So where else with this, with hate? Annie here, I'm, I'm, I'm really impressed by the things that uh, I see Indigenous and primarily the Black communities doing here and around the world, really, in, in sort of rebuilding cultures that mm-hmm. in an authentic way, in a grassroots way, and they seem inclusive and they are unapologetic and they're not doing it out of, I think they're just doing it out of survival. And it's brilliant. It's uh, reclaiming and rebuilding culture from the ground up, so to speak. That's one of the few areas that I see hope in. And I really don't know how they do it. it it's, you know, to me, that's an, uh, something that we should be really looking to as a model of how to restore a, a kind of sane humane culture to our society that's been very badly disrupted and and badly damaged and i'd also like to see personally i'd like to see uh, political parties banned i don't i don't really see what the purpose of them is they don't ever do what they say they're going to do no they don't ever do what they say they're going to do they get these you know these vague campaign promises which they never fulfill and they, uh, and also, I think uh, any campaign funds should be capped so that we don't end up with these billionaire, crazy Trumps and Fords and people like that in in power that really have no business being there. They have no, I think, you know, political leaders really should have an ethics and a psychological test more than a, a means test if, before they come into play. But I also think it's really, it's terrible that we've lost, like this, in this last election, we lost three uh, female uh, mayor and counselors. I think, as far as I understand, largely due to hate mail and just the general hostile environment against them. And I'm sure Stevens probably dealt with much of that same kind of thing like and i agree with dana should be prosecuted like why why don't we prosecute hate speech it's not legal right people get death threats why aren't they being prosecuted i don't understand 
And then there's the whole issue of education. When I was in university, low these decades ago, you know, for conversations about racism, of course, Canadians pointed south, <laughs> you know, that away. And, you know, we were very, we were all following the civil rights movement and Martin Luther King and all of those tumultuous years. Meanwhile, literally next door to us, our government was maintaining the residential school. We weren't even aware of it. And so is part of this learning the truth about our history. And for European, well, for Canadians who settlers, no matter what country you come from, is to be aware of what's gone on. What's been the relationship between ourselves and First Nations? Sure, Dane. Yeah, I mean, the fact that First Na- you know, the fact that our Indigenous communities have been screaming about the fact that there are children buried beneath the earth that we haven't tracked for yes. a decade, and it's taken until last year for anybody to listen, is obscene. It's important. Yes. We need to just... And, and I mean, you can point to any group who have been the victims of awful violence or crimes. You know, we need to believe women when they say that they're they're suffering abuse. We need to believe um, LGBTQI plus people when they say they're facing homophobia. We need to believe indigenous people when they say they've experienced genocide and that they're continuing to experience cultural erasure and violence and disproportionate lack of access because it's true. We need to believe when people say that they're going through something. You know, yeah. the, the blithe ignorance to to what is just, again, it's a, it, it points to facts. The, the fact that we, we just, it's more convenient to ignore it or to not pay attention than it is to acknowledge and try and make reparations is what drives so much of this obscenity. You know, it's as a young person, uh, I, I, one of the most insanely concerning things is that 40% of people younger than I am don't know what Auschwitz is. What is happening? What is happening? Uh, in, in an effort to, in an effort to professionalize uh, and systematize the way in which the world works, you know, there's all these conservatives, um, conservative politicians uh, in the Ford government who are saying, oh, university educations aren't valid and that they're stupid and right. who right. needs liberal, art, liberal arts education when we have plumbing to do. And, uh, you know, this move towards the sort of STEM model, this professional degree model, this your entire life is built to can contribute to a system and then you die model. We've lost the ability to think through critical thinking. We've lost the ability to think through nuance. <laughs> it's you watch an episode of friends. I know this is, this sounds like an insane tangent, but watch an episode of friends. Anytime that Ross or anyone like that says anything smart, they'll go, Oh, shut up. You're boring. And that's terrible. And that is the attitude that we have in the world that learning is boring and that critical, mm-hmm. thinking, critical yep. thinking is an inconvenience. And that if we all just put our head down and, Puts up, put our head down, get through the day, eat dinner out of a box, watch the latest Netflix binge and go to sleep that we can just ignore. We can ignore everything else. And it is to the detriment of all of us. Well, we're winding down here. Other thoughts about uh, any last words about the, the rise of hate, uh, what to do about it in Peterborough? Any thoughts that uh, come to mind? Well, Bill, Bill, I just want to add uh, a little to what you just said about the level of education and, you know, what we learned. You know, I recall being in, in the second year university when I learned about Africville. And, right. and I had a friend, a friend of mine who had gone out to Nova Scotia and he says, well, do you know about Africville? I says, well, I was thinking somewhere in Africa. Right, and, right. Yeah. But, but, you know, even recently, as, as recent as yesterday, there was an Alberta MLA 
giving praise to one of the members of the provincial legislature who had written a book highlighting Alberta's history. And, and this MLA was praising this former member. But this former member was also one that thought people of color didn't belong in Alberta or Canada for that matter. Right. Um, supported the residential school. But look who was being recognized or put on a pedal as the example for building a good society. Yes. With somebody who was not good as an example for what a society should be. Promoted hatred. And, you know, we're Creek, Alberta. Nobody knew that Alberta's cattle industry stemmed out of a free slave moving cattle across yes. the border. Yes. Yeah, I've read that. There was this former MLA saying, yeah, black people shouldn't belong here. Yes. I, I, Jill, you and I have talked about this, but it was only last year or the year before that I heard the story about Black Wall Street and Tulsa and what happened there a century ago. Uh, actually, just a century ago, just about now, 1922. I mean, it's stunning. I mean, the, the 1,500 people killed. It's, it's interesting, you know, we, we talk about how we can get into our own echo chambers and how yes. prevalence of social media and stuff has taken away some of the, the, the news, you know, that we might have normally gotten 20, 30 years ago. But at the same time, like, you know, they say history is written by the victors, even if the victors are literal monsters. And I think stories like Black Wall Street and those kind of things buried because the, people don't want them to come out. And in some ways, having social media and having the people who remember having an equal platform to say, hey, this happened to me can be incredibly beneficial yes. to fight yes. hatred. Any last words about to wrap up? Things we should want to be talking about a year from now? One last point for me, Bill, and is that we have to keep the conversations going. I mean, those conversations to have are always the most important conversations to have. Well, thank you so much, Dane, Annie, Jill, and Stephen, for joining me on this. You've been listening to Pints in Politics, an occasional discussion podcast about all things political. We're also an occasional radio program coming to you through the facilities of Trent Radio, 92.7 FM, CFFF in Peterborough, Ontario. This episode of our podcast is posted at pintsandpolitics.ptbopodcasters.ca and you can find this episode uploaded at the site. We post on Twitter at Bill Temp and on our Facebook page, Pints and Politics Podcast. We're also available on iTunes, Stitcher, and my Substack site. Uh, so, until next time, this is Bill Templeman.